All right, you can be seated. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Ooh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, first service, I told them, they gave me like a pretty, they gave me a lot back when I asked how they were doing. And I told them that if they hadn't, I was going to make them stand back up and we were going to kind of do our own version of the Olympics for the next few minutes. So let me, let me try it again because you guys want to avoid, avoid that. I know you don't want to be up here like swimming and playing basketball. How are you guys doing today? All right. Okay, good. That convinced me. All right. You're awake. Well, my my name is Jason Fickus, and I'm the director of small group ministries here at Daybreak. And it's my privilege today to be uh, be able to speak uh, out here with you guys at the Good Hope Road campus. And uh, really excited for what God's been doing out here uh, as you guys have made uh, Good Hope Road your Daybreak. Uh, And in that vein, we're actually starting a new series, as Pastor Sean said today, uh, in which called My Daybreak, in which we're going to talk about uh, what what it would look like for each of us to make Daybreak our own, to kind of raise the the ownership ante a little bit. You know, there's a shift uh, that happens in our thinking about something uh, when we assume ownership of that thing. There's just something about ownership that kind of takes it up a notch, takes it to the next level. And my wife and I have been renting a house for the past 13 months, and while we certainly don't uh, intentionally, like, try to break things or destroy things, you know, there's just those things when you're in a house that something starts to break or something's not working quite as well as it's supposed to or something's not running quite as efficiently as it should. And, uh, you know, those things over the past 13 months, eh, we've just kind of tried to ignore um, but just recently, we just purchased a house, and uh, actually just this week found out that we have a moving date. Yay, we're excited. We're moving in October. We, uh, we actually agreed on the offer like way back in like March or April, and so it's been a long road, so we're excited to actually have a date. Uh, but whereas we let things go a little bit more in our rental, uh, we've found that we've been extremely diligent about improving and uh, tending to some of the, the issues in the house that we bought. You know, we've probably already put uh, more time and effort and dollars into this new house in two or three months than we have uh, in that previous house for 13 months. Because there's just something that happens to us, a, a shift in our mindset when we take ownership of something. You know, owning something uh, gives us a greater sense of responsibility, a greater sense uh, of pride and a, a sense of protection about that thing. It gives us a greater sense of, of investment and excitement. And it gives us a desire to make that thing the best that it can be. And so that's what this series is about. It's about motivating each of us to make a shift uh, into ownership as it relates to our church family. A shift from just simply uh, observing what what those people are doing and how God is working through those people at Daybreak uh, to owning God's work at Daybreak, becoming a participant in what God is doing here. And part of the beauty uh, of of any church family and, and about Daybreak is that Daybreak is is a body. Uh, it's not just one part. It's not just a one-man show. Each of us is a vital and an integral part of, of helping to make Daybreak all that it currently is and all that God wants it to be as we continue to grow. Ephesians uh, 4.16 says it well. It says, He, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So to help ensure that uh, the whole body, the church, is healthy, it starts with each of us at an individual level, with each of us taking ownership, giving our best, doing our special work to help make sure that the body is healthy and growing and full of love. And then when all of us are, are engaged, when all of us are, are firing on all cylinders, uh, we become an incredible force with unlimited potential to impact the world. You know, imagine if all of us were living out God's vision. Uh, if we were all celebrating his grace, uh, both 
corporately here on Sundays and personally uh, in our lives, if we were connecting with his family in relationship and through groups, if we were contributing to his work both here in the church and out in our community in the world, imagine the impact that we would have on each other's lives and also on the lives of those people in our community and even halfway across the world that we've never even met. So we have to start somewhere. How do we, how do we start? Well, today we're going to kick off uh, this series and we're going to talk about a daybreak as a hospital, as a place where I can receive healing and also as a place where I can offer healing to others who are hurting. Because sometimes we just need a, a little boost in order to get us going. The primary function uh, of a church isn't to be a hospital. Uh, it's to carry out God's mission. But, but along the way, as we're carrying out the mission, life happens, right? Life comes at you fast. It's like, what was that, Nationwide or one of those insurance companies with those commercials? My favorite one, you know, is where the kid is on the swing and the dad's pushing him and he's like four and then all of a sudden he's like 20 and he kicks the dad like halfway across the yard. But life comes at you fast. You know, none of us escape life without unforeseen tragedy or unforeseen sickness. You know, every army, every community, and every church needs to be a place, uh, needs to be a place like a hospital where we can care for people when those tough times come. You know, imagine an army without a medic unit, without a, a MASH. How many of you guys remember the, that show MASH that was like on, what was that, 70s and 80s or something like that? My dad used to watch that all the time. As a kid, I was like, what is this? This is boring. But, but can you imagine an army without a medic unit? I mean, I, I guess what would happen is, you know, someone gets like wounded and the other guy just kind of looks back and he's like, hey, good luck with that. Maybe if you catch up to us, I'll talk to you later. You know, it wouldn't work for an army. You would lose too many people. And that's, that's not the way that God intends it to work for his church either. He intends his church to, to be a healing place for the wounded. He intends it to be a place where people can be healed so that they can re-engage and rejoin in the mission that he's given us. So understanding daybreak is my hospital, it means that we need to be aware, we need to be honest about our own wounds so that we can get the care that we need. And then as we heal, understanding daybreak as my hospital means that we need to extend a healing hand to someone else. It means that after we heal and even as we're healing, that we need to become a part of the healing. We need to become a part of the hospital to help others along. How many of you guys were here last fall? We went through the uh, Beneath the Surface Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. How many of you guys were here? Yeah, some really good concepts uh, in this series and in this book. And we actually have a few extra copies of this still in the office back there. So if you're interested, uh, feel free to ask us. But it talked about um, the fact that uh, emotional health and spiritual health go hand in hand. You don't have one without the other. And so today we're going to be revisiting a few of those concepts uh, in order to help us to identify where each of us may need to seek some healing in our own lives. So if you haven't done so already, uh, if you'd pull your outline out of your program guide, uh, use your pen, take some notes, follow along today uh, as we go. Our lead line today is, I engage in the healing process, number one, as I know my family's imprint. As I know my family's imprint. Whatever family context that we grew up, uh, whether it was a two-parent family, a one-parent family, uh, maybe you grew up with other relatives, maybe it was a foster family, uh, whatever context it was, our family has left an imprint on our lives. It's left an indelible impression, a, a watermark that has defined who we are today. And in many ways, that imprint was probably healthy. Hopefully, that was the case for you. But also, in some ways, I think for each of us, there were parts of that imprint that weren't quite as healthy. You know, regardless of how good or how bad our lives were as kids, we can't deny that we have been imprinted, that we've been branded, so to speak, with certain things. 
And lots of times as we become adults, it's easy for us to, to kind of just deny that reality. To think that our experiences in our childhood, it's like it was just a different life. Like it has no bearing on our life today. But let's face it, that, that's not always the truth. And, and sometimes we can, we can be kind of un, unaware as to, to how things that happened in our childhood affect us now. For example, how many of you guys remember either of the shows uh, Rescue 911 or Unsolved Mysteries? That was on, it was like 80s, 90s, I think. You know, for whatever reason, I was drawn to these shows uh, as a kid, and my parents would always try to warn me, you probably shouldn't watch these before you go to bed because you might have nightmares or whatever. But, you know, I was 10 or 11, and I was like, I think I'm emotionally strong enough to handle these things. Of course, I was wrong, right? Many a fear-filled night, like laying in bed, like, is that burglar that broke into the house on Rescue 911 going to come into my room? You know, but even today, there's an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that, like, whatever happened in my brain after watching that episode, I can't get rid of. You know how, like, outside of some uh, bigger buildings, like at schools or universities, there's this, like, cement stairwell that goes down, and it kind of gets dark down there, and uh, there's maybe, like, an entrance to the basement or a boiler room or something. Well, there was this episode of Unsolved Mysteries where someone got brutally murdered and, like, thrown down one of these stairwells. <laughs> Well, as a side job, I, I work as a school police officer during the school year for Mechanicsburg Area School District, and one of the things that we do is several times a year at night, we kind of go around to the different schools, and we patrol, and we make sure that the building's locked, and that no one's doing things they're not supposed to be doing, that kind of thing. Well, at the high school, there's two stairwells around the outside, and if I'm not walking with somebody that I trust, I'm like, uh, yep, that looks good, yep, keep going. <laughs> you know, there's just, for whatever reason, I just can't get past that, but, you know, that's a strange example, but it's to illustrate the fact that it's easy for us to deny the impact that certain experiences have made on us. You know, walking around and having a conversation with me, you wouldn't be able to tell that I've got an unrealistic fear because of an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And walking around and having conversations with you, I'm not going to be able to tell what a lot of the wounds or a lot of the fears are that you carry inside. But the fact is that we all have them. And sometimes the worst wounds are the ones that aren't so easy to identify from the outside. You know, just like uh, internal injuries in the case of, of trauma, um, wounds left from our family or our childhood experience on the inside are not always the easiest to know that they're there. You know, everything seems to be okay on the outside, everything seems to be hunky-dory, but on the inside there's a wound that, that hasn't quite he healed yet, a wound that's still bleeding and causing us issues. You know, and in our lives we, we end up trying to cope with these wounds uh, in, in many different ways, um, many unhealthy ways. It can take the form of of defensiveness or criticism, uh, depression, sadness, anger, uh, addictions, codependency. I mean, the list goes on and on. And lots of times we aren't even aware that we're trying to cope uh, with something. We just know something's going on and this is the way that we're acting. You know, so sometimes we try to deny the impact of our wounds, but the truth is that uh, denying that they aren't there, it, it doesn't make them go away. Instead, it just keeps them stuck inside of us where they continue to inflict damage on us and then where they cause us to continue to inflict damage on others in some of the ways that I just mentioned. You know, I'm convinced that as, as we look back and look back at our family history, while all of us have good stuff, all of us have, have some junk that we're carrying along too. You know, some more than others for sure, uh, but no one escapes it completely. And I, I love my family dearly, and, I, and I'm thankful that as I look back on my childhood, I, I mostly look back and have positive memories and, and positive feelings. Uh, but I also left home with a negative imprint uh, that gave me a distorted view of, of what a father's love should be like. And maybe some of you guys can relate to this. You know, I started my college and young adult life uh, with an imprint, with an impression uh, that love had to be earned. I, I had a wound that made me believe that love, uh, it only comes when you're 
you're, you're busting your butt, you're working hard, you're walking the straight and narrow, you're not screwing up, um, you're achieving great things. And that's, that's never something that was like stated outright in my family, but it's something that through my experiences has been imprinted on me, whether it was intentional or not. It was a wound on the inside uh, that I didn't realize that I had, that I felt like that wasn't love for who I was, but more for, for what I could do. And I'm pretty good at like suppressing feelings. I'm more of like a thinker naturally. You know, those of us who are thinkers oftentimes are like, oh, no, we don't, we don't have feelings, right? But we do. All of us do. And I'm good at kind of like suppressing those and stuffing those down. And so for a few years, that's what I did. I just kind of ignored those. Um, but then what happens? Over time, they start to rise up, right? And so I've had to learn that ignoring my emotions, ignoring those negative feelings doesn't make them go away. I have those feelings. You have those feelings. Right or wrong, right, we, we feel them. They're there. And so in order to be able to move past them, in order to be able to find a freedom and peace and to be able to, to move forward, we can't just ignore them. We can't just say, hey, maybe if I stuff that down, I can go a few more years and I'll be okay. No, we have to deal with them. You know, there's a book called uh, Healing Your Family Tree by Beverly Hubble Talk. I don't know why that's a hard name to say. Beverly Hubble Talk that does a great job of outlining four steps. Uh, she gives four keys to help you understand the imprint that your family has left on you and then to help you understand how you can begin to become a part of what she calls a, a transitional generation where you start to transition away from, from passing on uh, these, these negative imprints. And here's the steps that she gives. They're in your outline today. The first one is to face family realities. She says, dig out the facts of family history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. She says, truth does set us free, sending ripples of empowerment throughout your family. So basically she's saying you need to take an honest look at the imprint that your family has passed down to you. And so I had to face the fact that uh, I was imprinted with a performance earns love mentality. And as I dug just a little bit deeper into my family history, what I found is that on my dad's side of the family, that this imprint was even stronger. My grandfather, uh, as a baby, was basically abandoned and left on uh, someone's doorstep. And so he was raised by complete strangers. Uh, and as, a, as an adult, my grandfather uh, was at times very harsh, very demanding, uh, he, he struggled to display any sense of, of love or appreciation for, for his kids. And, and a lot of that, I think, comes from how he was imprinted. But learning that gave me a little bit more freedom and helping me to understand that, that that's where my dad came from. My dad came from a father like that. And so it helped me to appreciate the, the steps that my dad did take moving forward to try to uh, be a, a transitional generation. The second key that she gives is to mourn the losses. Grieve old pain, lance festering psychological wounds, and drain out emotional and relational toxins. Man, that sounds messy, doesn't it? That sounds messy because it is messy. She says you need to allow yourself to mourn, both for yourself, uh, for other people in your family that have been wounded, uh, and also for others that you have wounded as a result of the destructive choices or the destructive ways that you've tried to cope with these wounds that were passed down to you. And mourning isn't something that it's easy to do. Uh, it, it's hard to do. It's not something that you wake up one day and you're like, hey, I think I'm going to grieve my losses today. That sounds fun. No, we, we avoid that like the plague, right? But we have to be able to mourn them. We have to be able to, to, to work through them, and we have to be able to grieve if we expect to be able to move on to a new day. And so for me, I had to grieve the fact that I, I didn't have a, as good a relationship with my father as I would have wished that I would have had growing up. The third key that she gives is to examine the consequences. She says, look at the ongoing fallout from the destructive habits that have been repeated generation after generation and calculate the escalating costs 
of treacherous family habits should that continue. And so this step is all about realizing uh, the patterns that have become commonplace in your life because of the wound that you've been carrying. So as a husband and a father, as I've started to see some of those same tendencies uh, rise up in myself that I saw in my dad and in his dad, I've had to confront that. And I've had to look down the road and picture what my relationship with my wife and with my son will be like in 10 or 15 years if I continue to operate out of that faulty mindset and make them feel like in order for them to feel love for me, they can't screw up. They have to be perfect all the time. And then the fourth key that she gives is to take charge and change. She says, take responsibility for your choices because the habits of life, layer after layer, become character. I like that quote. The habits of life, layer after layer, become character. So we can either choose to be courageous and we can choose to do the hard work of, of paying now to change, uh, or we can, we can defer dealing with this and we can pay later, but we know what will happen if we do that. You know, paying now, the reason we don't want to pay now is because it's tough. It means that we have to be held accountable for the damage that we've inflicted on other people. We have to take responsibility for our actions. And paying later is an option, <laughs> but just like our debt gets more and more crippling the longer that we put it off, uh, so do those emotions and, and, and our, so do our relationships become more and more fractured the longer that we wait to just say, okay, I got I to gotta confront this. I got to deal with this. I got I to gotta try to change. Through attending Daybreak's uh, men's fraternity program, I've had a chance to, to work through some of these steps and to make the decision that, that I don't want to pass down what had been passed to me. I want to take responsibility uh, to change so that one generation or two generations down the road, they're still not dealing with this performance uh, earns, uh, earns love kind of thing. And the good thing is that as we're trying to, to change, as we're trying to find healing, is that we don't have to try to do it ourselves. You know, our God is a God of healing. He's a God of freedom. And he has the power to, to heal us in the places that are broken. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. And this was written about a nation, the, na the nation of Israel, uh, that, that started, they started as, as one big family, essentially. But because of, of poor decisions and because of godless choices, the family had been broken apart. They'd been exiled from their home. Uh, they'd been scattered. They'd been partially destroyed, and they were discouraged. Um, but God called them back. And the psalmist here states God's uh, desire and God's ability to heal their broken hearts and to heal their broken lives. And the cool thing is that he wants to and that he's able to do the same thing in both your life and my life. I want you to watch uh, the story of a courageous woman in our church family uh, who had a rough hand dealt to her in life. Uh, her family left her with an unbelievably strong negative imprint, um, but through daybreak and through a burgeoning relationship with God, she's been able to start to find some healing in her life. And so watch the screens and watch Ginny's story. I was born to two alcoholic parents, and after two years of abuse and neglect, my siblings and I were, we were, we were placed in foster care where we endured more abuse and neglect. We were taught from a very early age that we were not wanted or loved, and that we are all a mistake to have ever been born. By the time I was three and a half, I had been placed in five different foster homes, each one worse than the last. All of us kids were separated and would never live together as a family. The majority of my childhood was spent in one foster home where my foster mother made sure to remind me on a daily basis that I was a horrible child and that all my family's problems were my fault. She told me that no one would ever want me or love me. She said that I was just a waste of space and that when I grew up, I would be just like my parents, drinking and live on the streets, a bum. Growing up in foster care, you have to attend church. 
I loved going because at least I felt a little safe there. My Sunday school teachers made me feel special and told me stories about how if you just asked God for forgiveness, everything would be all right. But after I went home from church, Sundays always ended up being the worst days of abuse because it was the longest that my foster father was home. And it would make my foster mother even madder at me because he gave me so much special attention. I learned at a very young age not to feel, not to trust, and especially that I was not loved. God couldn't love someone like me. I stopped feeling anything. By my late teens, I had endured 17 different abusers, both male and female, who abused me in every way imaginable. Even my own parents loved their booze more than me and chose that lifestyle over trying to get me back home or even trying to come visit me. I would cry myself to sleep almost every night, wishing it wouldn't hurt so much. After a while, I just stopped feeling anything but an empty, dark hole in my heart. I did end up moving back home with my father and stepmother at age 14, only to have gone from the frying pan into the fire. It was very clear that I was wanted only to take care of the house and to watch the grandkids so that the adults could go out drinking almost every night. I got a job at a restaurant, but all my pay went to my dad so that he could use it to help him party. I weighed only 75 pounds at the time because I would get in trouble for eating their food. I was emotionally dead inside. I finally decided that if people were going to take from me, I would at least get to be the one who, to decide who, what, and when they were going to take it. I used guys so that I could get fed and so that I wouldn't have to walk home from my shifts at the restaurant in the middle of the night. One night, my dad and I had a huge fight and I decided I would leave. I went to work that night and called Craig, a man I had met at the restaurant, and told him what had happened. I never went home again. I ended up in the hospital because I had a physical and mental breakdown, and then I moved in with Craig. Craig, who is now my husband, saved my life. We have been together for 25 years now, and he has endured a lot because of all I had to work through. But I know God brought him into my life to help me get to where I am today. After Craig and I had been together for two years, we decided to have a baby. When she was born, I became very unstable emotionally because that's when all that had been done to me as a child hit me. I tried suicide three times over the next couple of years. Thankfully, God sent two very special counselors into my life, one of who became like, a, like the mother I never had. I started to open my heart again after it had been closed for so long. She suggested that I start going to church again. So Craig and I started attending church. After a few bad experiences at other churches, a coworker mentioned that Daybreak was a church that wanted you to get involved and take classes and be part of a family. I thought it sounded great, so my daughter Maria and I went to the next Sunday. When we first stepped into the Daybreak's doors, Pastor Ron almost ran to greet us and shook our hands. His huge smile melted our hearts. We met a few other people who were just as friendly as Pastor Ron. I knew I was finally home. I knew this is what we were looking for. We have been coming to Daybreak for 10 years now, and I have really grown. We were so excited to be part of church that we began serving with open hearts in a bunch of different ways. I still had a lot of work to do in my healing, but step by step through Bible studies and encounters with Jesus at Daybreak, I have learned to put my pain on the cross. At the Good Friday experience five years ago, I nailed my pain to the cross where there was once a hole in my heart so deep, I thought it would never heal. Now there is peace.
My dad finally walked away from booze six years ago now and has been attending Daybreak. I am able to be around him now without feeling the anger and hate that I carried for so long. I can see how God is using my experiences to help others too. I have been involved as a mentor in the FWL mentoring program. I was paired up with a lady who was having the same debilitating anxiety attacks I lived with so long and I was able to encourage her. I am still a work in progress. I still get depressed at times and still battle the physical effects of what was done to me. But I know where my home is now. I know that God loves me and has always loved me. Every day I know I have a place at his table and I always have. On bad days when I feel I can't handle it anymore, I just close my eyes and feel the hands of the day prayer team lifting me up so I can reach the hands of my loving Father. Thank you, Daybreak, for helping me on my journey and for helping me find the truth so that now I can help those who are going through the same things I did. I know now that I was not a mistake, and I am cherished and valued by my true Father. Doesn't feel like there's too much more to say after watching that story, huh? Ginny's story is amazingly beautiful, and I thought it would be just fitting if we just take a moment to thank God for what he's done in Ginny's life. It took Ginny a lot of courage to be able to share her story, and so if you, if you do get a chance to rub shoulders with her and have a conversation with her at all, I just encourage you to, to, to thank her for her vulnerability and being willing to share. You know, Ginny's healing uh, hasn't been easy. It's been a journey, and it's a journey that she'll tell you that she's still very much on, uh, but she's had to start somewhere, and she's found a great support system here at Daybreak. Remember, Daybreak is your hospital, and you don't have to try to heal on your own. Daybreak's care ministry is incredible and offers tons of resources to help you. And we don't even have time to list all of them, but I just wanted to highlight a few of them just so you had a, a, an idea as to what type of stuff is available. Uh, the first thing is, is professional counseling. We've got relationships with three great professional counselors, all who have different kinds of specialties, but all of whom are great at just listening to you as you try to talk through things and helping you process through and helping you to find some healing. Uh, and there's a place on the back of your response card where you can mark if that's something that you're interested in. We also have a little handout up here. If you want a little bit more information, you can feel free to come and grab one of those after the service. So we've got counseling. We've got uh, multiple recovery groups and support groups uh, for ranging on things like uh, folks going through separation or divorce, uh, folks struggling with grief or eating disorders or unhealthy body image. Uh, we've got a new infertility group that's starting this fall. Uh, and there's also going to be an opportunity this fall for marriages uh, who just feel like they're kind of barely holding on uh, some type of uh, marriage recovery opportunity. You'll get information about all of those in about the next month or so. We've also got a partnership uh, with the Wellspring Ministry, which if you haven't heard of them before, uh, it's a free off-site uh, listening prayer ministry available to anyone. And what that means is that basically there's someone there who will help you through guided, intentional, and focused prayer uh, to help you connect with the presence of God, to receive truth from Him, uh, to receive guidance from Him, and ultimately uh, to receive healing. You know, my daybreak, my hospital, it has a bunch of different wings. And at one point or another, all of us are going to need one of them, maybe, maybe multiple wings. You know, how many of you guys, for, for any reason, have ever been admitted to the ER or the hospital? Just raise your hand if you've ever been admitted to the hospital. I mean, look, pretty much every single one of us, right? You know, life happens to all of us. We all suffer wounds. We all suffer uh, circumstances that sometimes we just need help dealing with. And if you're someone who struggles with the shame of asking for help, I want to speak directly to you for a minute because 
I want you to know that the, the truth is that when uh, you need help, asking for it is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, it's probably just about the smartest thing that you can do. All of us, at one time or another, uh, have times where we just need that extra help. We just need to be nursed back to health. I mean, we were talking this week as we were preparing for this message that pretty much every single one of us on, this, on the staff at Daybreak has gone in for counseling at times because we just all have those times where we need someone from the outside to come in and help us. And in that pursuit, Daybreak has so much to offer. So I encourage you to get the help that you need and to allow God to begin that healing process in you. So I engage in the healing process as I, number one, I know my family's imprint, but then number two, as I know my father's image. As I know my father's image. If you remember back in point one, uh, we looked at the passage of scripture that said, God is the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. But in order to be able to find healing in God, we need to know God. John 8.32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we need to get to know the true Father, but this is the part where it gets tricky because we've got all kinds of distorted perspectives on who God is as our Father. You know, more times than we realize, we take our relationships with our parents, uh, I think especially our relationships with our dads, and then we project the image of our earthly Father, good or bad, uh, onto God as our Heavenly Father. And what we end up with is all sorts of false pictures uh, and false beliefs as to who God is as our Father. So I've had to realize that as I have a propensity to try to earn my father's love, I realize that I also do the same thing with my heavenly father, that I've projected that performance earns love mentality into my relationship with him, and that that mentality has led me to some perfectionistic and, and workaholic tendencies. You know, it's made me feel that I need to prove to God that I'm worthy of his love because of how much that I do for him, how much I can offer him. You know, I've had to keep realizing over and over again and letting God's truth continue to soak into me that he loves me unconditionally, that I don't have to earn his love, that what I do for him should flow out of my love for him instead of serving as an attempt to try to get in his good graces because he loves me regardless of what I do for him. You know, and just like in point one where I talked about uh, how much I think we're often unaware of the impact that certain experiences have had on us, I think we're also uh, often unaware of of the things that we've come to accept as normal that are not normal. You know, for, for instance, one of the traits that I've appreciated that my father has passed down to me uh, is a bit of an uh, obsession for wearing clothing equally. And let me explain what I mean by that. My dad literally uses a piece of masking tape on the top of his hangers and, uh, for, the, for his suits, and he writes down the last time that he wore the suit and the last time that it was dry cleans. Now, for me, I'm not quite as obsessed in that way. My obsession takes a different form. In my closets, I have all of my shirts organized into what I call a regular rotation. So every day when I'm ready to go out in public, you know, if I'm going to work or just going to run errands, I, what I, I just draw the next shirt in the rotation, right? It's that shirt's turn. And then when I'm done with that short shirt, or maybe once it's washed, you know, it goes back at the end of the line, and it just makes sense to me. You know, that way I don't have to stand in front of my closet for 20 minutes and be like, what am I going to wear today? I know, it's just the next one. I pull it right out. I don't overwear anything. It all gets used equally. You know, and this seemed pretty normal to me until in my 20s I had some conversations with some other people and realized that they don't, they don't do that. <laughs> Although I did have a conversation with someone after first service today who told me they did, and it made me feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> you know, it's not something that everybody does, and I, I like to try to convince people it's something that they should do, but I've come to realize that, that having a shirt rotation is not the norm. <laughs> 
But what happens to each of us is that we take our life experiences and those life experiences inform our minds of what the norm is, even when that norm isn't true and we don't always realize it. You know, in in Ginny's case, it seemed true to her that she was unloved and that she was worthless because her life experience informed her of that. But the truth is that she is valuable, that she's loved beyond comprehension by the God of the universe. And so for her and also for us, sometimes it can be hard to find the truth past our own worldview, past our own experiences. And that's why it's so important for us to instead try to learn what image our Heavenly Father wants us to bear. That's why it's important for us to work on being imprinted by Him instead of by the wounds from our past. Did you know that when they train people to look uh, for and to identify counterfeit bills, uh, that they don't train them by having them look for flaws? I was unaware of this until this week. Instead of having them study like the thousands of ways that a dollar bill could be altered, they actually have them study the real thing, real bills. Because the logic is that the more familiar they are with what the real money is supposed to look like, then the better that they'll become at identifying the fakes, uh, at pointing out the counterfeit bills. And so the same principle applies here. The way to know the true image of the Father isn't by assuming that the imprints that we've received are the right ones. We don't get to know God by, by studying or meditating on all of the false beliefs or on all of the bad experiences that we've had. You know, experiences can be a great teacher, but experience can also be a great deceiver. And so instead of trying to get to know the true image of God by studying our experiences, we have to instead get to know the one true God. We get to know God by reading his word. Uh, by reading the love letter that he's written to us. We get to know God by, by talking to him, by interacting with him, uh, by building a relationship with him in prayer. We get to know God by doing life with other people who have a strong relationship with him and, and letting their knowledge rub off on us. And then the more familiar that we become with who God really is, the better that we become at identifying those lies of the enemy that keep us stuck in, in wrong thinking and prevent us from experiencing true healing. You know, what did Jesus say in John 8, 32? He said, then they will know the truth and the truth will set us free. As we get to know the truth, as we get to know the one true God, how much he loves us and how much uh, he wants us to grow into a deeper relationship with him, we'll start to experience freedom from those negative imprints, from those wounds that seem so hard to break free from. And I want you to check out another video now uh, to get a dose of that truth, uh, a glimpse into what God truly thinks of us, about how much he pursues us and how much he longs for us to be imprinted by him instead of by our experiences. I have searched you, and I know you. You're an open book to me. Even from a distance, I know what you're thinking. I know when you leave and when you get back, you're never out of my sight. I know everything you're going to say before you start the first sentence. You look behind you and I'm there, then up ahead and I'm there too. Is there any place you can go to avoid my spirit, to be out of my sight? If you climb to the sky, I'm there. If you go underground, I'm there. If you flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. I'm already there, waiting. I even see you in the dark, at night. You're 
immersed in the light. Darkness isn't dark to me. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to me. I created your inmost, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are breathtaking, body and soul. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from me. What a creation. I know you, inside and out. I know every bone in your body. I know exactly how you were made, bit by bit. How I sculpted you from nothing into something, like an open book. I watched you grow from conception to birth. All the stages of your life are spread out before me. The days of your life all prepared before you'd even taken that first breath. I've not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. My word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You're here to be light, bringing out my colors in the world. I'm not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, a city on a hill. You wouldn't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You put it out on a stand, so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open to me. I'm calling you to what's next. Come and see. So you can go and be a light in the darkness. Can you picture it? I love how that video clip, uh, every single word and phrase taken from God's word, shows the depth of interest and love that God has for each of us. I love that it tells us that whether it's fear or whether it's another imprint that we've gotten from our families, that that didn't come from God, but that instead God desires to give us a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of discipline. That as we replace those negative imprints from our family with the awe-inspiring image of our creator God, that he will heal us because he is a good God who is full of compassion. I love, too, that it keeps going, that it talks about our influence and our role as we realize who we are in Christ, that he talks about taking what we've received from God and then passing it along to others. And that's what 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 3 through 4 talks about. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And this brings us back to one of the beautiful things about being a part of a church family, especially about being a part of this church family. Because here at Daybreak, we have a place where people who are being comforted and people who are receiving care are then in turn taking their time and taking their talent and taking their treasure to comfort others with the same comfort that they have received from God through Daybreak. And that's what our care ministries that are led by these three ladies are all about. 
facilitating a genuinely healthy community in which people receive care, experience healing and growth, and then actively give back to others in need. Our care ministries and our church family live out 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 every day. You know, there's story after story that we could share about how God has been working through daybreakers, helping them uh, to, to be healed and then in turn giving them the opportunity to help others find healing. And I wanted to share just a few of those with you. You know, there's people who have found freedom from eating disorders who are now helping those who are still consumed by them. You know, there's people who have dealt with the grief of losing a loved one who are now leading support groups to help others process their own grief. There's people who have known the pain of financial ruin who are helping others work their way out of the stress of tough financial situations. You know, there's women like Ginny who have grown through life's hurts who are mentoring other women who are walking through the same pain. There's men who were addicted to pornography who have found freedom and who are now helping other men break those chains. There's people who have had meals delivered to them uh, for whatever reason, maybe from because they had a baby or because they had surgery and they couldn't make meals on their own, who then, after they healed, have come back around and blessed other people with meals. There's people who have received help to pay for counseling uh, when they couldn't afford it, who then have found healing through that counseling and are now donating and helping others to pay for counseling that can't afford it. You know, this is the body of Christ at work in our church family, people who have made Daybreak their hospital. And God longs for his church, Daybreak, to be a conduit of his healing. He longs for us to be healthy and restored, and he longs for us to know the joy of redemption when we can take all that trash, all the wounds from our past, and when we can use them for something good, when we can use them to help other people find healing as well. And there's many ways that you can get involved. If you look in your program guide this morning, uh, there's a yellowish, tannish uh, insert here that says Care Ministries at the top. It has their logo. And it lists uh, a myriad of different ways that you can participate. Uh, anywhere from helping with practical needs like, like meals or transportation or visitation uh, to helping to facilitate some of the support groups that we offer uh, to helping to strengthen marriages. Uh, maybe that's just enriching some marriages that are already good and maybe that's uh, really helping some marriages that are on life support right now. Or maybe that's engaging in our prayer ministries uh, in one of a variety of different capacities. You know, the possibilities are endless. And I don't know how you will choose to engage, but this is what I do know. I do know that as someone else is reaching back and, and grabbing their hand out to us to help us heal, that God also desires us to reach our other hand back and to help pull someone else along. You know, I think many times we have the misconception that that we have to have it all together in order to be able to help someone else. Maybe we think that we're too scarred to be able to make a difference in someone else's life. But the scars that we bear are the proof that healing is happening. They remind us of, of where we've been and then where by God's grace that he has brought us to today. You know, your scars allow others who are walking through a difficult time uh, to know that you understand. They see your scar and they know, oh, he's been there. She's been right where I'm at right now. To them, your scars are beautiful. So I encourage you, begin the healing process. Know your family's imprint. Dig back into your family's history and, and find out what is it that's been imprinted onto me. Know your father's image. Get to know the one true God. Sit under his word. Sit in prayer in relationship with him. Seek healing and seek to help others who need healing as well. I encourage you today to make Daybreak your hospital. Let me pray. God, your love for us and your interest in us are beyond anything that we could imagine just based on the experiences that we've had on this earth. 
we thank you for your love and we trust uh, that your desire is to heal us, that you call us to take a step, sometimes to humble ourselves and to reach out when we need it. So challenge us in whatever way that you need to today to find healing. Help us to push past our pride. Help us to to push past that perception of the shame that we're going to experience and help us to allow Daybreak to come alongside us, to partner with us uh, on our healing journey. Not so that we can experience healing and so that we can uh, completely erase our wounds and forget about them, but so that you can use them instead as a reflection of your healing power and of your grace. God, rather than than wishing our wounds away and wishing our pain away, help us to embrace the healing process. God, be with us. Be our comforter when we need to be comforted. God, when we feel like I can't walk into this any further, would you, would you grab our hand? Would you pull us through? And God, when we start to experience small victories, would you celebrate with us? God, begin to heal us and begin to change us and allow the scars that remain as the healing occurs to remind us of you and of your power. Allow the proof of your healing hands and, and the people who served as your hands and feet uh, in our healing motivate us to serve as your hands and feet in the healing of someone else. God, we love you, and as we embark on our healing journey with you today, we ask that you would make yourself real to us. It's in Jesus' name, the one who was forsaken so that we could be healed, that we pray. Amen.